Today, we began a winter sermon series. And the way it came about is from the reality that during this pandemic time, Michelle and I have been watching a lot of movies. One that we saw recently was Grumpy Old Men, featuring Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. They have a very interesting relationship where they seemingly disdain and hate each other. They play pranks on one another, but in the end, they come to truly appreciate and care for one another. I had forgotten a lot about the movie, but one of the things I always had remembered was the prank Jack Lemmon played when he put a dead fish in the back of Walter Matthau's car in the wintertime so that when the heat would go on and off, that smelly, stinking, rotting fish would just get worse and worse. And uh, to see Walter Matthau's expressions uh, as he just had to deal with that terrible, rotten smell. Uh, Well, anyways, it's that that gave rise to uh, this morning's sermon and to our sermon series, because today uh, we recognize that when something bad or unfair happens, some people will say, you know, that's rotten or that really stinks. And I know that when I've been treated unfairly uh, or when I've been wronged by another person, there's a tendency to say, wow, that really stinks. And Who of us hasn't been the victim of some injustice at some time in our life? We all know what it feels like to be treated unfairly, to have a friend or someone not so friendly or life itself to play a rotten trick on us. By now, you may be wondering what all this has to do with our sermon series in today's scripture text. Liz was mentioned in the wave on Wednesday. We felt the notion of grumpy old men would be a marvelous way to revisit some of the Old Testament prophets. Many of them are perceived as harsh and perhaps grumpy old men. In the next six weeks, we'll cover three of the prophets. One week, we'll be preaching on them, giving some background in history and lifting up the key messages of their preaching. And the following week, we'll portray the prophet in the first person doing a portrait in costume. Our hope is to give meaning to their message and to help them come alive for us today. So Amos is the first one we'll be dealing with. And and Amos was a layperson with no professional training for religious office. He was a shepherd and a trimmer of sycamore trees in the region of Tekoa, which was some five miles south of Bethlehem and ten miles south of Jerusalem. Now, the sycamore fruit had to be pinched before it could ripen to an edible state, and it was the food of the poor. The time of Amos was the 8th century B.C., so we have to go back in time over 2,700 years. And Amos tells us in the opening verse, which Michael read for us, that it was in the days of King Uzziah of Judah, and in the days of King Jeroboam, son of Joash of Israel, two years before the quake. Now, scholars know those dates to be 781 to 745 B.C. And during those years, Israel was able to control all the trade routes, and so a wealthy merchant class developed. The nobility also prospered greatly, building themselves elaborate homes. But the common people, they had no share in the wealth. Israel 
as a nation, had earlier been strong in the independence of its citizens. But by the 8th century, it was quickly becoming divided into two classes, the poor getting poorer and the rich getting richer. The religious shrines were continuously crowded with prosperous people who interpreted the country's prosperity as a certain sign of God's favor and even greater days to come. Priests and prophets at the sanctuaries benefited nicely from the lavish offerings, provided they kept alive the mood of confidence in God's ongoing material blessing. For those who were doing well, religion went hand in hand with materialism. Wealthy merchants were lusting for economic power and they were using the poor for cheap labor to get what they wanted. Public leaders were reveling in luxury. They were corrupted, corrupted by indulgence. They were, to quote Amos, lying on beds of ease. The law courts were used to serve the vested interests of the commercial class. Religion had no real protest against the unfairnesses going on. So enter the scene Amos, a shepherd and dresser of sycamore trees who knew a simple and modest lifestyle. Surely he knew the extravagance of some whenever he passed through Jerusalem. And at the same time, he knew that there were many hard-pressed people doing most of the work which was required to keep the wealthy well off. And Amos, on behalf of God, said, Wow, that really stinks. So here now, some of his words. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire. Oh, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night, who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. He makes destruction flash out against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. All this is to say that in Amos's time, if you had the goods, he was a grumpy old man. The people of Israel, who were anybody, reasoned that because they were God's people, God would can give continue to give them prosperity and prestige. 
they had justified that their wealth and ease were their right and that they were meant to be very well off. Now, if you haven't already begun to connect the dots between 2,700 years ago and today, let's begin that process. There's a wonderful story of an attorney who journeyed out here to California to try an important case. He promised his partner the moment a decision was announced, he would text him. And at long last, the text came. And it read, Justice has triumphed. And his partner in New York texted back and said, Appeal at once. Sadly, such would have been the attitude of those who were well off in Amos's day. Amos reversed the logic of his day. Israel was God's people. God knew them and would not bless them, but punish them. Israel's special calling, said Amos, did not entitle Israel to special privileges, but to greater responsibility. Amos prophesied doom because the nation was being eaten from within by an immoral sort of cancer. Israel was not merely guilty of social crimes. Israel was not being faithful to its calling as God's people, to care well for all God's people. In the economy of God, such a people could not, could not endure long. So I invite you to hear the words of a modern-day prophet, words which echo the truth of Amos, and they come from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. As long as there is poverty in the world, I can never be rich, even if I have a billion dollars. And as long as diseases are rampant and millions of people in this world cannot expect to live more than 28 or 38 years, I can never be totally healthy even if I've just gotten a good checkup at the Mayo Clinic. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the way God has made our world. Friends, this is the way of God's economy, whether we like it or not. In life, we choose whom or what we will make the most important thing, and we will have to live with the consequences of our choice. The purpose of Amos's preaching was to give people an opportunity to change. He proclaimed what God was about to do in order to show how urgent it was to change now. Tomorrow might be too late. Therefore, as he said in chapter 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live. There was little chance that the people of Israel, enslaved by habit and blinded by complacency, would listen to the likes of Amos. Trust me when I say the people of Amos' time did not like his message. In fact, in chapter 7, the priest of Bethel told Amos to take a hike and never come back. He told him the land could not bear his words. How right he was. Sometimes, I don't like what Amos says either. But as people of faith, we are not called to only seek what we like, 
but to be faithful to God and to one another. Listen to what Thomas Jefferson said in the earlier years of our nation's history. I tremble for my country when I remember that God is just. To which William Sloan Coffin Jr. can say when speaking about bad news for many Americans. Let me quickly recall an often forgotten fact. Judgment of the rich spells mercy not only for the poor, but finally for the rich as well. There are two ways to be rich. One is to have lots of money. The other is to have few needs. Whereas the second option is rarely weighed in the United States, the Bible promotes it all the time, suggesting, moreover, that spiritual resources, the true resources, they are the truest resources, they do better when economic ones are not in excess. And as we will see next week, there is some good news in the latter part of Amos' message. When the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, God and a grumpy old man like Amos don't care about anyone's ease or comfort. They say, and I do too, wow, that really stinks. So be it. And amen.